What's up, everybody? It is Friday, April 12th, and I hope you are having a wonderful week uh, because it's been it's been a good week around here. And uh, before we kick things off in June, I'm going to be at the Shift Happens Conference in Washington, D.C. that is sponsored by Avpoint. You can find out more in the description of this post if you want to do that. It's all about collaboration and digital transformation and all that good stuff. Uh, should be a good time. Myself, Paul, Mary Jo, and a bunch of others are going to be there. So, uh, kicking things off here, folks, one thing I did several years ago, actually what we did as a household, is we cut the cord, right? That's not all that surprising, I've talked about it before, but this week Disney Plus w was announced, I mean, we, we knew it was coming, but they, they laid the, the landscape here, and I gotta tell you, I'm pretty surprised at the value here, um, because Disney owns a bunch of IP, like Pixar, Star Wars, Marvel, National Geographic, they bought a bunch of Fox assets and all that stuff. Anyways, here's what you need to know, November 12th, is when it's coming out, it's gonna cost seven bucks a month if you buy it on an annual subscription. That is not bad. That is much better than I thought it would be for the value that I think you're gonna get out of this. Now, granted, they could hold some things back and we gotta wait and see what actually ships with the surface, but our household has spent a bunch of money on Disney content because I have a small child who likes to watch those shows. And at seven bucks a month, it becomes a no brainer. We only currently pay for Netflix at this time uh, because we get Hulu free with Spotify. And so I think I could see us adding this pretty easily, honestly. And so, which actually kind of brings up another question, because we know that Disney also owns part of Hulu, for that matter. Uh, they're likely going to offer some sort of bundle. I wonder if Disney would ever buy Spotify. I think that would make a lot of logical sense, if you think about it, because they have the video stuff, which they all have on the Disney side. They have the TV show kind of side of stuff on the Hulu side. And then if they have the audio side with Spotify, they could create a nice little bundle, honestly, like for 20 bucks a month or something, that would just bring all that together. And I think that would be, I would probably honestly pay that, because that would be roughly what I'm paying anyways for all the other services. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But anyways, that's November 12th. I just bring that up because I'm more than likely going to be buying into that. Uh, other things that are happening this week. So Slack, which uh, without Slack, there probably wouldn't be Microsoft Teams. Um, Slack is announcing new integrations with Office 365. This is a little bit interesting, uh, mostly because they have, they're primarily like a G Suite service. Typically, when you're using Slack, you're using G Suite because if you're using Office 365, why would you be using Slack when you get Teams for free, I mean, free in quotations, with your Office 365 subscription at the enterprise level. But anyways, if you are using Slack, you can now do deeper integrations with Office 365, specifically OneDrive and also with Outlook. And so, yeah, I mean, it, this is good stuff. It just, it's a little, I guess, awkward or not, but, uh, you know, whatever, if you're using Slack and Office 365 and don't mind paying for them both, they're not going to work a little bit better together. Uh, also available this week, we've talked about this before, but now it is finally official and real. Anybody can go out there and grab the new Edgeium browser. Now this is the new version of Edge based on the Chromium browser. Uh, I've been using it every day for probably the past two weeks now. And honestly, guys, it's, it's fine. Um, if you don't like Google or you don't like the idea of what Google is doing, Edgeium is a great alternative because it's run by Microsoft. If you trust Microsoft more with your data, you're probably more likely to trust them with your browser. And there's not a whole lot different, although there is a list of things that Microsoft did turn off primarily guys, just Google services, no big surprise there. And they replaced them with their own stuff like smart screen and other spell check stuff and just random little bits here and there. There's not a whole lot of Microsoft-ism inside of it yet. Granted, you do sign in with your Microsoft account, but there's no tab syncing yet. There's no password syncing it, which honestly, guys, don't use a browser for password syncing. The best thing that I've ever done is to use a third-party password manager because then going from Chrome to Edgium, all I did was bring my password manager over with me. 
and all my stuff was there. It makes it makes life so much easier. Not to mention, it's the best practice, by the way. Um, so consider using that. I personally use one uh, one password. Many people like LastPass. There's a bunch of options. Do your research. Find one that works for you, and go with it. And because all the extensions from Chrome work in Edgium. You can actually use the password manager replacement feature from Chrome. So if you use 1PasswordX and also LastPass has it, you can bring that over and it just it completely replaces the password engine and it works. Uh, I quite like it, but that's not a big surprise. I like Chrome. Edgium is basically Chrome, but with Microsoft's flavor on top of it. And so there you go. There will be some more UI changes coming down the pipeline at some point here, but it does look very similar. And so you can download it now in Dev and Canary. The Canary build is updated just about every single day. So just keep that in mind. So if you want the latest and greatest and you don't care if it breaks things, Canary is for you. I personally am using the Dev because it's updated weekly and should be a bit more stable than Canary. Granted, I like the idea of getting these updates all the time, but at the same time, I don't want to be fighting a browser on a daily basis. And there will eventually be a beta channel. A beta channel will be the most stable release until we get to the final release shipping sometime later this year. Uh, but that is not currently available. So if you want the best and stable version go for dev if you like living dangerously and living in that coal mine grab the canary build um speaking of rings and, and updates and stuff there is a if where in the world is carmen san diego but this one is more where in the world is 19h2 microsoft is doing something different here typically what happens is, is after they sign off on a build uh, or not sign off but promote a build and, and get it ready for release we're in a little new area since they're leaving uh the the May release in the release preview ring for eight weeks, six, eight weeks or whatever. And so everybody now is effectively on this skip ahead build. And so what Microsoft is doing is that if you're in the insider program, you're actually grabbing 20 H1 bits. Doesn't matter if you're in the fast ring or the skip ahead ring, it's the same thing effectively now. And so that brings up the question, what is 19H2? 19H2 is supposed to be a release that happens in the fall. Uh, Microsoft has done this annually for a couple years now, and now nobody can test it. And so that brings up a couple questions and the, the, the options here for what is happening with 19H2. The first option, which I believe is potentially possible is that they are hiding things in 19H2 that are coming in build, coming to build. Uh, build is in the first week of first ish week of May and I will be there. Um, and so there's potentially stuff in there and they don't want it uncovered. That is one option. Option two is that it's only fixes now it, like, right, it's just going to be whatever they release in the fall is just going to be patches and making 19H1 more stable and ready for businesses in that 30-month support cycle seems ex extremely plausible. Or they're just no longer shipping two updates per year. I think that's the least likely option. Microsoft has told me personally that they're going to talk more about 19H2 in the coming weeks. I suspect we're going to learn more at build is, is kind of my hunch right now. And I'm very curious if they are hiding things in there, such as Windows Lite updates or something like that. But we don't quite know, and I haven't heard explicitly what is happening, but I'm sure that somebody will find out here in the near future. Granted, we've only got three-ish weeks to find out. Um, otherwise, Microsoft will kind of hopefully spill the beans here very, very soon because they, they need to be more trans... This is one of those like awkward transparency things that Microsoft isn't great about. They, they want to keep this a secret. And if they are hiding things in there for build, I don't know why they wouldn't just come out and say, hey, we're going to talk more about this at build because we've got some stuff to show you. 
That would be awesome. And if that's the case, I'd love it if that's what they were doing. Or if they were just switching to a, a stability cycle where they have features in the fall or features in the spring, stability in the fall. Why not just say that? I don't know why they try to keep this stuff under wraps. What's the point? I don't I don't know what they're they're gaining from all this other than their lust for having complete control over some of the new stuff, which they don't always have. Um, yeah. So anyways, we'll keep our eyes and ears open for that. Uh, Firefox is now available for ARM devices running Windows 10. This is cool. Uh, they actually showed this back off in December, but now it's shipping. If you go to the Firefox and download the beta channels, uh, you can actually run this on an ARM device natively. This is pretty cool. So this will work with the upcoming Snapdragon 8CX devices. If you're not familiar, Snapdragon 8CX is the new series of Snapdragon chips that will work with Windows 10. Now I've also heard some uh, little insider information on some of this stuff that Microsoft worked very closely. Like, we always hear that Microsoft, we're working close with our partners. Um, with this Snapdragon 8CX, Microsoft pretty much ran the program is what I'm hearing. Now granted, Qualcomm did a lot of work. They built the stuff, but Microsoft basically dictated everything that was going into 8CX. And that's why it's such a good chip compared to the previous generation, the 835, when running Windows 10. And so I mean, I'm kind of excited about this. I, I, I honestly am. And so those devices will start showing up later this year and you'll be able to use Firefox for it. And I've also heard, um, speaking of a little bit of leaks here, I wrote this in the post for those who read it, Microsoft actually has Surface Pro devices that are running Snapdragon uh, chips inside. They, they have these things. They've actually considered shipping them as the low end. So typically Microsoft, when they ship a Surface Pro, they have like the lower end performance at the low end price point. And then it scales all the way up through like an i7 with 16 gigs of RAM and, and, a, lot of, and a lot of high performance stuff. But they often, in previous generations, had like an M3 variant, and they were considering, and are still considering, I should say, that they might use ARM chips for those lower entry devices. And then that, that would be a really interesting proposition because these ARM devices, one, are always on, right? They're always connected, I should say, always connected. And so they typically have better battery life and they have good performance. They're definitely better performance than I believe those M3 chips. They always talk about being an i5 U-series performance level uh, classification, which if true and plays out would be better than the M3 entry level crap that they were shipping. And so I honestly hope that Microsoft does this because it'd be an interesting lineup where you have the Snapdragon always connected PC, uh, as they call them at the lower end, but still good performance and excellent battery life, right? The excellent battery life is the key. And then if you need the performance, you can do it at the sacrifice of battery life. So that would give you a significant amount of flexibility. I, I hope they do. I hope they these things make their way out of the vault, if you will. And so uh, that's not the only thing that was leaking this week. Uh, my roof was leaking this week, and I think I got it fixed. I think. Click an ad if you could, because I might have to buy a new roof for my house, and that is not cheap. Not cheap. Not cheap at all. Uh, anyway, so speaking of Microsoft and Intel, I've been hearing this for a while that these two companies aren't exactly lovers sitting in a tree all that much. Uh, I hear that there's a lot of tension between them, mostly because Intel obviously wants to be uh, the only chip provider for Surface devices, and Microsoft doesn't want that. And so I, there's, there's some tension going on there. I've also heard that Microsoft is considering not using vPro, which is an Intel uh, SKU specifically designed for business class machines that Microsoft has decided not to use that on the next generation of devices, which is again, making Intel pretty pissed because that is pure margin for them. And so, Microsoft, I think we're gonna, I've already talked about this previously, but we're gonna see, I believe an, an AMD based laptop. We're also gonna see some ARM devices coming from Microsoft. And this is making Intel really, really, 
nervous. And not to mention Microsoft is still angry about the whole Skylake debacle uh, with Windows 10 and the Surface devices. And so these two companies, while on the surface, you know, they're gonna be on stage shaking hands and all that, but behind the doors and in meetings and stuff, Microsoft and Intel aren't, they're not angry at each other, but they're not happy with each other, if that makes sense. So just kind of watch some of that tension play out here in the next few weeks uh, to months or whatever, especially as Microsoft tries to expand the portfolio of chipsets that are used in its devices, which for Microsoft candidly makes sense. You don't want to be all in on one vendor and be so dependent on them that you have to wait for them to ship a new chip to be able to ship a new product. It makes sense for Microsoft to diversify, not to mention they already have a good relationship with AMD with the Xbox stuff. Uh, they've got a lot of other stuff going on with other vendors. And so by them diversifying the chipsets available in their Surface devices, more options for consumers, the better, right? So keep that in mind. Uh, Game Pass is getting a pretty significant update in terms of titles. Uh, there's one in particular that I'm excited about and nobody else will be. Uh, Prey is coming April 11th. The Golf Club 2, April 11th. I will be playing that one. Uh, the Masters is going on right now. We'll see if Brooks Kepka can keep it up or if uh, what else is going on. Uh, he had a pretty good day yesterday. So uh, we have Monster Hunter, The Walking Dead, and Life of Strange. Uh, Life is Strange 2 and Resident Evil 5. All those games coming this month. Also keep in mind that some games do leave the service. So uh, it's much like Netflix. It's a revolving door of new titles in, old titles out. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six fairly well-known games. Some people may not know the Golf Club 2, but I do because the last game that golf game that they came out that was worth anything was uh, Rory. What was that? Like EA's Rory Golf, whatever it was, like 2014 or something like that, 15 maybe 16, whatever. Been a couple years. Golf Club 2, not a bad golf game if that's your that's your cup of tea. So, a bunch of questions this week. Going to dive into them because they are always the best part of the week. Uh, oh, God. Cleans Late says, Hey, Brad, the Canary version of Edge, Chromium, has got a Chromecast feature, and it's awesome. Do you think or know if Microsoft will drop Miracast uh, for Chromecast in Windows 10? So... I've heard, and I can't, I don't know the full validity of this, that Microsoft is sort of abandoning Miracast. Um, that we haven't heard much about it. So it wouldn't surprise me if that is actually their go forward. It's like, screw it, we're just going to support Chromecast and just make this thing as flexible as possible. So I haven't explicitly heard that they are going to drop Chromecast and, and bring in Miracast support. It wouldn't surprise me if they support both. Uh, because Microsoft actually sold a dongle. It's back there. I use it for that TV up there, a Miracast dongle at one point. So I don't think they can just like, give up on it because they have hardware out there but we'll see we'll see uh, mr pki says what do you think of the 15 dollars monthly game pass xbox live combo being offered is that an attractive price and bundle so kind of but not really so and the reason why i say kind of is it's not really a value add because if you buy both services on an annualized basis it's effectively the same price as the bundled service you're not really saving any money the only way that this bundled service will make money, and we don't know this yet, is if you buy it on an annualized basis, do you save those 20%? Typically how it works is if you buy uh, Xbox Live on an annual basis, they give you two months free. Now, if you buy this combo offering and they give you two months free, then yes, I will say that it is a good value. But if they keep it as a flat rate, uh, a, a combo of the two services with without the annual discount, then no, that's not such a great deal. The only sort of value 
here currently is that you don't have to manage you don't have to manage two subscriptions right you don't have to know when your live expires and when your game pass expires or something like that that is the value right now but financially it's not there unless they're going to do an annual subscription uh reduction brother nod says when i bought my surface pro 5 the one letdown is there's not been able to completely replace paper a paper notepad from processing from pressing power to face recognition to booting into OneNote, it takes too long. Not to mention when you click the pen, the, one, the OneNote doesn't launch or other bugs, things like that. Do you think this is something Microsoft will consider is worth fixing? Or do they think there's a chance they can reduce their friction to truly replace paper? I guess I'm still dreaming about the courier. So I understand what he's talking about. Microsoft, I'm looking to see if I had one here, has made a big deal about how the Surface Pro has inking support and all that good stuff. But in his to his point that picking up a pen and picking up a piece of paper, you have instant, right? You have instant ability to start writing. That's not true with a Surface Pro. At one point they did have this really fast launching mechanism, but it's kind of fallen away. And so I would love for them to bring back that kind of low processing power functionality where you can just hit a button and then it just launches right away. Um, even if the device is turned off, I think that would be a unique feature because that is something, uh, actually the Surface Hub has a similar feature actually, where you can just pick up the whiteboard pen and start writing without authenticating. Although I don't know if that's still enabled. I know that was something they talked about when they launched it, the, the original Surface Hub. So is this something Microsoft gonna fix? I, I don't know. Um, is it feedback they have heard before? It is. And so Laura Butler, who is very active on Twitter and runs that team, might be somebody you wanna reach out to because she is the type of person that can maybe fix, not her personally, um, but she has the will-how and the know-how to get something like that implemented, if you will. Uh, so yeah, she might be the one to touch, to, touch base with. Uh, Ken Hess says, could Blink Chromium uh, be rendering be the rendering engine of Windows Light? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Now, is it? I have heard that they're trying to move it to Chromium. Currently, it was built used, utilizing Edge Edge HTML, but they're definitely going to try to move that to the Chromium browser that Microsoft is working on. I don't know if it'll be explicitly Google's Blink variant, but it will definitely be. Uh, the, the goal is to move over to that Chromium-based model. So, uh, Usman says, Walking Cat found a weird LinkedIn bio mentioning Cortana at home, going after the consumer market like never before. Is this a dead project? So I read this, this is, first off, this person is going to probably more than likely end up changing their LinkedIn bio because Microsoft, I don't think, likes this kind of stuff. But it's a very recent posting talking about doing more with Cortana at home. I'm digging into this one, guys. Now, there is... There is another Cortana device, and I don't I don't necessarily know if it's a device like, well, this thing back here, the um, the Invoke. I don't know if it's necessarily like that. Uh, there is another device out there that Microsoft is working on that I know the code name for and I know what it is. Uh, I haven't written it up yet, but I will here in the near future. That being said, I don't I don't quite know what this Cortana at home initiative is and it makes me a little bit nervous candidly because microsoft can't they can't ramp up and say hey we're doing all this cortana stuff like they did with the invoke back there and then just kind of like fizzle and fade away and then come back a few like a year later and be like oh we're, we're, we're still doing it we're like they need a very consistent and moderated approach of output 
that makes the consumer and user feel comfortable because in theory or in theory in practice if they if they make another big push for this cortana at home stuff they've got to re-educate and re-talk about it and relearn and regain the trust of everyone who invested in things like the if i can get my finger pointing right the invoke back there i cannot do this that's much harder the, the camera is actually reversed um for those who, who aren't aware it makes it a little bit harder but anyways so I don't explicitly know, but I'm digging into, I'm going to try to figure out what's going on there. Uh, also, what happened to that Surface Computing Ambient device? Is it on track? I don't know the exact release date, but I know what it is. And, it, and I know where along in the pipeline it is roughly. And I know it, it should be coming out. I don't know exactly when though. Uh, and is there more certainty as to what kind of device it is, considering that it isn't a smart speaker? I know I know what it is. I, I need to just write this up to get this out of the way. Um, yeah. Averroda says, do you think Microsoft canning the bookstore and more so their health services is a precursor to making deals with other companies to be the main service provider on Windows? Interesting. Uh, would you, it would be nice to hear about some deals with Fitbit after the health device shutdown, et cetera, et cetera. So what he's talking about is last week, Microsoft shut down the bookstore in uh, the Windows store. So or the Microsoft store, if you open it up, there used to be a books tab. It's gone. Uh, Microsoft also killed off their health services. That not a big surprise. They ended the band. They're now ending the digital side of that, the digital health records and all that stuff. So he's asking, do I think that this is a precursor to them announcing more deals with third parties? Yes and no. You, you got to be careful with announcing deals because let's just use the books, for example. Let's let's use the books. Let's say that they strike a deal with Amazon and now they have the Amazon bookstore and Windows 10 and that's the, that's the preferred usage model. Well, they just alienated anybody else who's out there selling books. That's a tough proposition. I don't know if we will see any explicit, explicit partnerships. The last one we kind of seen was between Groove and Spotify. If you remember when Groove shut down, they allowed you to port all that stuff over, but that wasn't really a partnership. That was more of just like a, here, these guys are going to help you transition type thing. With the books, they just said, screw it. Everybody gets their money back. Uh, sorry. And I'm not even sorry. I mean, if you're getting your, all your money back and you have the books, granted, you won't be able to access some of them after this happens. It's not a bad deal, though. I mean, you basically got a nice library loan um, for some time. So do are they going to explicitly partnership? I don't know. They like to do these things somewhat on the enterprise side. But typically with their partnerships, they like to be in control of the core process and then allow people to build value on top of their services. Uh, that's typically the Microsoft model. And I, I haven't seen how that's going to play out yet uh, with some of these services. Uh, Mad Thinus says, what do you think about 19H2? Um, if you, for some reason you jumped to this portion of the podcast, scroll back up a little bit. And uh, I talked about it earlier because that's a big deal. It is a big deal. Helix2301 says, Brad, I remember in Windows Vista and Windows 7 had an ultimate edition. I think they did away with that in 8 and 10. Was there a reason for the ultimate and why? Or what did they do away with it? So, yes, there was. a. We'll just use Windows Vista. And this is a an ongoing source spot. So uh, Windows Vista shipped with a version called Ultimate. And it was basically a feature of Windows that included every single feature from every version and it gave you access to everything. It was the most expensive option. And then there was also this thing called Windows Vista Ultimate Extras, where Microsoft was supposed to deliver like custom built features for the Ultimate Edition. And they never did. Windows Vista Ultimate Extras like never materialized. I believe, honestly, I think Alex Kitman might have been part of some of this. Um, if I remember correctly. So Vista Ultimate Extras was a giant marketing snafu screw up. And I bought I bought a Vista Ultimate Extra. I was a young kid. 
when that came out. And I remember working extra hours and trying to save up money to be spend that stupid skew of windows. Cause I wanted the, who didn't want ultimate and you got that black and purple, uh, plastic case with it. And I remember, I remember going into Staples and buying it and, uh, yeah. And then I never got my ultimate extras to separate my machine from all the other peasants. <sighs> yeah. Um, so why did they do away with it? Well, mostly because it didn't really add much value. Microsoft stopped shipping it and stopped doing it because they now have just enterprise home and pro for the most part. There's some variations in there. Um, but there wasn't, they never, they never found an ultimate extras portion that made sense that people would actually pay for. So Craig RS94 says, will the new edge ever ship with windows server 2019 desktop as server? Wait, Will, Ed, will the new Edge ever ship with Windows Server as Server 2019 desktop experiences still ships with IE as the default? Will it come to Linux as well? So I don't know what they're going to do with Server. I would suspect that it would potentially ship with both at some point. That being said, the fact that it doesn't ship with current Edge makes me a little cautious here. Mostly because if you're on Server, you shouldn't be using the web browser too much, right? But I do think it will come to server, but I don't know when. And the reason why I'm hesitating here is because you can technically just go out and download it, right? And I guarantee you, you can make it probably run on uh, server 2019 if you just ran it in Windows 10 compatibility mode. So it probably works already today if you really want to go down that path. That being said, when will they ship it as the default? That's a tougher question to answer because I don't know. Microsoft could do that at any time or never. It doesn't really make a big difference. And I guarantee that they will continue to ship IE 11 with server and enterprise products for a long time because there's a lot of intranet sites that are still optimized or cantily only work in that older browser. And then his other question is this, what do you think this set the Surface Hub 2X apart from the 2S and 1? The big thing that separates the 2X from the rest is that it rotates, right? Um, if you go look at the videos when they announced this thing, it rotates from portrait to horizontal to portrait mode. Uh, and then you can also pair them together, right? So you can have like tile mode where you can have like four of them on a wall. That is what's going to be the primary separation. Also some updated software experiences. So all right, guys, that wraps it up for this week. Uh, always a good time. I, I enjoy trying to work through these questions in real time, mostly because it's difficult uh, to do and to think in my head and I got to be on my toes. And th that's my favorite part of my, my day. So as always, everybody, thanks for tuning in. We're going to have some good news, I think, next week. I think I've got, I'm, I'm going to work on some Halo stuff. Uh, uh, try to figure it out for next week. And so have yourselves a wonderful week and we'll catch you right back here next time.